0: Welcome to the Trad Dads Podcast, where we examine cultural and political issues through the lens of traditional thought. All right. So, today we are going to be talking about wages and sort of the way we can maybe design policy to create more effective pay systems. This is Levi Russell, and I have uh, Levi Breederland and Isaac Miller with me. Um, so, I think the way to start off is to maybe talk about sort of the, the minimum wage in general and all of this push for, you know, the fight for 15, uh, you know, and, and pushing the minimum wage up really, really high, at least in the U S and most places in the U S $15 an hour is a lot of money. Um, what, what, what do you guys think about, um, what, sort of the minimum wage and, and all of that sort of thing?
1: Well, here up in Canada, um, we also have, at least in the, the Western provinces, we've got $15 Canadian an hour. Which is the minimum wage now, and well, that's less than it is for you guys in American in American dollars, but um, that's that's nearly double what it was ten years ago. So we've we've had quite the like the steady push, and um, the more the more kind of left leaning uh, parties that get into control in the last couple of years have been really saying like let's get it to fifteen, and then um, now with with the recent provincial government here in Alberta they've, they've added a thing where I think it's younger employees can get paid less than 15. And so now it's, it's all in the news again. And the, the scandal is breaking out as as usual.
2: I think with minimum wages, the way I've always observed them in action politically is they seem like a, a way of doing something, but not doing anything like the, they don't act. change anything structurally wrong with the people who have these minimum wage jobs and perhaps they need training perhaps they need something more um, more structurally different about the world they live in that gives them the better opportunities to have the better jobs um, it, I mean it, when you increase the minimum wage it doesn't seem like it's actually um, it, it doesn't seem like it's a real change I mean you, you employ fewer people the prices of goods might you know um, go up you know it's so, so it seems like it's there's a class of political action, which doesn't actually do anything, but everyone pretends it does and everyone argues endlessly about it. Like, like that's raising the minimum wage is one of the things that I, I, I really don't want to spend like, you know, in terms of like political discourse, you know, like in terms of talking to people online, I'm really not going to spend a whole lot of time arguing against it, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, and it's an interesting thing um, to actually kind of tie both of those together is like, you know, you see how, you know, they, they just mandate this, this wage and then, and then they find out that there are problems with it that, that, you know, that aren't addressing structural issues, like you were saying, Isaac. And so they, they, they end up doing what you were talking about, Levi, where they have to, you know, make exceptions and, and, you know, oh, well, we're going to push it down for kids who don't have any skills because, you know, for Pete's sake, you know, no one would reasonably pay them $15 an hour for their, you know, inexperience and, and, you know, like lack of ability to show up on time and all of that sort <laughs> of thing. And so, yeah, I, I think it, it's interesting to think about, um, you know, all of the criticisms of the minimum wage that get at this issue of, well, you know, it, all it does is, is sort of force this trade-off between, um, you know, lower skilled people. And, and you can see this, right. The, the, um, in the U S if you dig into the data and look at, The labor force participation rate for um, people like in the 16 to 25 age bracket, um, you know, it fell uh, after the, you know, during the 2008-2009 kind of recession period there. And it just never really recovered completely. You know, those those people didn't go back into the workforce. And so, you know, pushing the wage up is just going to make it even harder for them to get, you know, their foot onto the bottom rung of, of sort of the, the employment ladder. And so, you know, one I, I think pointing out one other failing of the minimum wage is just the fact that, you know, especially if it's a federal or I guess in Canada, uh, would you call that like national legislation? How would you refer to that?
1: Um, well, I believe it's all provincial. So kind of like statewide. Um, right. So, I mean, and, and even, even on a statewide basis, the, the issue
0: is that, you know, the cost of living is different in different places. So like in the U S you know, the example is, you know, a $15 minimum wage in rural Mississippi is outlandish. I mean like most employers could not pay that for, you know, basic labor. There's just no way. Um, But in New York city, you know, $15 an hour is just no big deal. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's not gonna, that's not even gonna get you to pay rent, you know? Um, So, it's kind of funny how, you know, in the U S at least, it's just, it, it's, it becomes such a national conversation and the way it works in the U S is, you know, states, there's a federal minimum and then states can have higher minimums, but you know, obviously they can't have lower minimums than the federal level. Um, which is obviously, you know, has a ton oh you know, has a bunch of other problems like, you know, the federal government's not supposed to be above the states and all that sort of thing anyway. But, um, I think another thing to think about, and I think I'm glad you said this, Isaac, was that, you know, it doesn't really solve the underlying problem. Um, and so this is where, you know, maybe we can get into, you know, employers themselves just voluntarily changing the way they pay people um, to, to, to deal with some of these underlying problems. So do you guys have any examples of that kind of thing?
1: Well, so there's there's one company um, I believe they're based in the states, but they they employ people all around the world, and that's Buffer, and they they make a social media management product, product. Um, and they're very open in their uh, just in the way they run their company. They like they publish how much each employee makes and and that kind of thing, and they used to include um, like you you declare who your dependents are when you were working for them, and then they would include that in their calculation of, of how much your, your salary was. Um, and now they've changed that and they've, they've called it a bonus, right? I believe rather than part of the salary, just to, to do the bookkeeping a bit more accurately. Um, but they, they keep that in mind. Like, so if, if you go and you work for them and you say, I've got, uh, two dependents and I'm working for you full time, I believe it is. They, they add $3,000 a year per dependent to your to your annual paycheck, though like it's not technically part of your paycheck. It's like a a bonus or whatever. But they're like they're actually they care it's like they care about their staff to the point where they want to know how many dependents you have and will adjust your pay accordingly to to help with that situation.
0: I think that's interesting and and I think that goes about as far as I think it you know you, you really can go as an employer to to try to get at this idea of a family wage or a living wage. Um, which is really, I think, you know, almost um, kind of politically, it's kind of a funny thing, right? Because this is, um, you know, there's a big a big to do because Tucker Carlson came out and, you know, endorsed Elizabeth Warren's, you know, economic platform. <laughs> and, and people are just baffled by this, you know, and it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, Tucker's on Fox. I thought he was a right-wing guy. <laughs> you know, I thought he was pro-market and all that. But it's just, I think it's one of those things where people don't realize that, Um, you know, like Isaac said, you know, he's, he's more concerned about the underlying issues here. He's not concerned about, you know, do you, know, you as an atomized individual have a $15 minimum wage? Um, you know, and I can, and I can think of other companies that, um, there's a, there's a large gas station chain in Southern Texas called Bucky's. And if you're ever in Texas, South of Austin, basically, um, anywhere across the state, go to a Bucky's. They are absolutely amazing, uh, restaurants or not restaurants, sorry, gas stations, but they do have food that you can actually eat and not worry about getting some kind of uh, <laughs> horrific disease. Um, it's really, they're really cool places. We used to stop there all the time when we were coming home from Corpus Christi. But um, it, it's interesting when you walk in, they have this big board above the door that shows you the, 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 the minimum pay for all the different positions they have there, like, you know, manager, um, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it's a really incredible business and, and they, they do very well. Uh, they seem to do very well. And so uh, I, I think there's, there's a way to, to make that sort of thing work because I know when we think about, you know, economic theory, it's, uh, it's very much, you know, the, the wage is equal to the marginal product of labor. Um, or maybe that's a little bit jargony. <laughs>
1: but the whole
0: idea is this, that, you know, in equilibrium, you know, a, a company is going to pay you you know, basically in, in, um, in proportion to your contribution to uh, the, the, the revenue of the firm that you help generate. Um, and so maybe that's harder to square with this sort of idea of a family wage, especially like your example, Levi, with buffer. Um, you know, how, how do you square that with a wage equals the marginal product of labor? Like just because you have more dependents doesn't make you more productive, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's that's why they removed it from like the, their salary calculation. Was what they said like, well, obviously a guy with zero dependents is going to be a lot different than a guy with a stay-at-home wife and four kids. But then again, like if you think about it, the more dependents you have, um, there's there's got to be some correlation there with the number of dependents you have and the amount of things that might distract you from being a good employee, depending on the type of work you're doing. So in a way, like it's, it's not, you know, a complete comparison, but in a way you need to pay people more if they have more more dependents so that they aren't, aren't as bogged down, I guess you could say, but that, that sounds negative.
0: Well, I think, I think the thing is, is, is it really, it really shows, you know, the, the marriage penalty that women have, right. Which, which is, is what, is what comes out in the, the raw statistics as, you know, this quote unquote wage gap, um, you know, this wage gap idea. But the, the reality is, is just, if you look at, you know, men and women who have never been married, their, their salary, you know, their, their wages are the same for the same job. But the issue is that once they've been married, you know, the societal expectation is that, you know, the wife is going to spend, you know, she's going to do at least 60 to 70%. Of the work in the home, and that's just the way it is. Um, and so employers know this, and so you know they don't get as many promotions, or um, you know they end up leaving the workforce for a while when they have children, and so their you know their their salaries don't um, you know rise over time like someone who's continuously working. You know they have less experience, uh,
1: probably less education overall too, because they're you know they're not pursuing a master's degree or something because of desire to start a family?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the traditional thing, but you know, I think one of the, I guess maybe one of the, uh, the, the reasons for this podcast is that we're actually seeing the opposite of that. Um, you know, that now more and more, um, you know, the, I would say definitely greater than 50% of the people receiving degrees in the U S are women. Um they are far more educated than men are. Now that doesn't necessarily translate into workforce, but but yeah, I mean people are delaying having children in general, but even even when they have them, you know, women um, you know, will will leave their job for a while. So um Isaac, what, what else do you think um this tells us about sort of dealing with these deeper issues? Is there some other kind of insight here where we can better understand how to get into those deeper issues?
2: I wonder about um, what you mentioned about comparing two different employees for, say, like a corporation, one who has four dependents, one who has no children. We kind of think of that as sort of value neutral. But in in reality, a corporation is sort of like in a subtle way going to prefer that person with no children. Because perhaps they're going to require relocation. Perhaps they're going to require... Um, you know, some other thing that's going to interfere with some family connection or some some family obligation. What if they require overtime or travel or these sorts of things? There's there's sort of especially for very competitive job fields, there is a limitation that if you don't have um, if you don't have those roots, then you're actually more valuable overall to that company. So there, so there, in a sense, there's sort of a um, especially for the most competitive field. Obviously, this isn't the case everywhere um, in every administrative or sort of white collar or office type job. Um, but, but in some sense, there's, there's a um, especially the way that you, know, you, you leave home, you, you get an education and everything. And if you don't get sort of your, if you don't have your priorities in, in line as a man and get your career sort of set and then kind of determine where you're going to live, it it can be very difficult because now, because you may have roots somewhere, you may have children or family in an area, and you don't want to leave that area for employment. So you're sort of, you know, confined in that area. And so I I think that there's a lot of structural issues at play. Like um, this isn't, this part of the discussion isn't so much about the minimum wage as it is sort of like, how should an ethical business approach this? Um, is it is it within the company's purview also to to reward sort of families and being and rooted and so on? And and I know that some some businesses, some local businesses do tend to do this. I've seen that many of them do sort of they want this sort of networking and this sort of interconnectedness in the community. Yeah,
0: so I I mean I could certainly see how some types of businesses, um like for instance, I just I just wrote a column for my local newspaper, you know, arguing for you know, some of the, the, the additional benefits you get from having a local paper, you know, sort of monitoring the government and mm. the local government and stuff like that. And so I could definitely see where, you know, some businesses really need someone who's a community person, right? And so they're going to, they're going to try to, to keep them in that area and maybe that's gonna require them paying you more. Um, you know, cause I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, uh, to me to me, if you have children, you're still willing to move. You're just willing to move at certain times of the year, right? Cause most mm-hmm. people, you know, their, their kids are in school. And so they'll, they'll either, you know, they'll either move at the end of one semester or the other. Um, but you're still willing to pick up and move. But, you know, I guess maybe this goes into other things too, where, you know, we have the social security system, which makes it um, unnecessary for you to really uh, be there to support your um, your, your, your elders. Right. And so that would really be uh, a sort of a familial tie tying you to a certain area. Right. Cause then you're talking about, well, if I got to move, I got to move two households.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Um, but since we've broken that, um, to a large degree with things like, you know, um, with things like, uh, um, uh, the social security system or whatever they have, the, the pension system they have in, in, uh, Canada, um, So I, you know, but, but I guess in in the way I think about it's like, okay, so does you know, you want somebody stable. So does that mean, you know, like you're paying more for stability? Cause I could see it that way too, right? It's like, I want to attract married men. So I'm going to pay married men more, you know, because they're more stable or am I going to pay them less because I know they're stuck here? You know what I mean? So I, I think it just depending on the scenario, it could go either way.
1: Yeah. Depending on the business, like you might say, um, a person with family is going to have more times where they're away from the office. So we need to make sure that we can attract them to, to keep coming in. So let's pay them more. But then again, you might say, well, they might be, they might be taking more, more sick days and whatnot. So let's pay them less. So it's kind of, it's kind of a dilemma there.
0: So with this company, um, this company you were talking about, Buffer, do they explain why they're paying people more for those um, for the 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 dependence that they have?
1: Off the top of my head, I don't remember, but I I seem to remember seeing something about how like they they acknowledge that dependents are important and that you know if you have dependents you need to be you need to be able to make enough money to support them along with the, the salary that you would normally make if you didn't have them. So I think that's, that's their justification is that, you know, the more dependents you have, the more, the more costs you're going to have. And if you want to, if they want to hire you, they're going to need to be able to show that they, they acknowledge that and that they care about that. They seem to, they seem to really push that idea. Like they really care about the, the people that they hire rather than just thinking of them as you know, autonomous drones or something.
0: Yeah. So I, it makes me think about sort of the opposition to this idea of a family wage or, or something like that. Um, and, you know, we, we have this whole idea in economics, you know, of, well, the wage is equal to the marginal product of labor. Um, but obviously, you know, businesses just don't operate that way. And I've, and I can think of, you know, instances where, you know, an employer said they were going to pay their employees, you know, ridiculous salaries, you know, they're, paying everybody, uh, no matter what their job is, at least $60,000 a year. Um, and I, I can't remember what company that was, but it was some tech company that just went belly up within like five years because they were paying, you know, even they were paying the janitorial staff and the secretaries and stuff like 60 grand, um, which is, you know, a very high salary for that kind of thing. Um, and so I think it just, it, it just goes to something deeper. I think like you were saying, Isaac, where it's, it's, there's just something else that's important here and it's, um, it just, maybe it doesn't strictly follow the rules of, you know, sort of neoclassical economics, but it definitely does. Um, it definitely does show how, um, you know, you know firms are, you know, currently they think they're getting some kind of benefit out of this, even if it's just PR, right. Even if it's just the fact that, you know, if, if, if people think that they, if people know that they are paying well, well then, you know, I should, I should shop there because, uh, you know. They're they're paying employees in the way I think they
1: should. Yeah, here we are talking about buffer, and they're getting some some free publicity from us. <laughs> yeah, it is but, interesting. Like you can definitely say that wage is there's there's more than just the the product of your labor in in that that like especially the larger businesses they're thinking they're thinking about the publicity side of things and they're thinking about they're they're thinking about more than just the number of doohickeys you can make an hour.
0: Well, but that also plays into revenue, right? Because if you have good PR, then that tends to push your revenue up too, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's a different thing than explicitly just selling stuff or making stuff. But I think it, I think it all folds into, you know, where the incentives still line up. But but yeah, it's, obviously no one can actually compute your marginal product of labor unless literally your only job is like, you know, a piece rate type of manufacturing job. I mean... Um, Arnold Kling is an economist who has a, who has an interesting blog. And and he's made this point where, you know, in, in a modern economy, most people's jobs are overhead. Um, you know, the robots do all the piecework. So it's, this whole idea of wage equals marginal product of labor is just silly. Like you, you just, you can't, um, no one can actually compute that.
1: Yeah. It's oversimplifying.
0: Right. So Isaac, you had something to jump in there with, I think.
2: Yeah, I think the, um, if we see society as more of like a, an organism. And so think of like the life cycle of a person, where, where does this worker come from? How did they get the skills to get this job? Where are they going? Like, what's, what's the whole, what's the larger big picture here that that's, that's uh, that's at stake. And so that gets us into the higher ed discussion. And so I think, I think the Western world sort of suffers from sort of two different things that push on it in different ways. One is um, in many um, societies such as the United States, most of the, for any major corporation or very competitive employer, they sort of just skim off of the top. They, They have no, um, investment in their own employee development prior to the employee actually being, you know, employed. So really they're taking whatever's out there in the workforce. And so they're just sort of skimming and taking from it. Um, and for a lot of us, we don't really recognize that that's not that natural. That's not a, Um, that's an unnatural state of affairs compared to the rest of history because you had, you had guilds, you had, you had things like that. What we have is, which is sort of similar is the way that um, the meds, the medical profession and the legal professions work and the way that there's sort of an on-ramp to those jobs. Now, a a lot of that is um, We get sort of squeezed on both ends where one uh, these industries don't have any kind of investment in the employee development. And two, the education system is fully subsidized by without, without often without a direct connection between the university or whoever is doing the training, whatever vocational job or whatnot, and the industry itself. So, so there's no real there's no real feedback loops you can design within the system to to make sure that quality is ensured and there's sort of a cooperation between the people who are being the people who are training these future employees and the people who will actually employ them. And a lot of these jo- these degrees that people get, and, and this is like a big point that, you know, everyone's heard on every, you know, conservative sort of outlet, is that, oh, you're getting all these gender studies degrees, and to a degree, that's true. Um, but the jobs that employers are actually, or the skills that employers are actually looking for, don't appear to be, um, it, it's mostly that the, that the university isn't preparing people to be properly employed. That That for some reason, there's a disconnect there and and i think it's because there's no connection between your direct connection i mean like your one your university doesn't have a stake in your your student loans if you're getting them and two the industry doesn't have a direct connection to the university's sort of curriculum and 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 instruction and right. uh, in in cases that's the case like within nursing and within um, a lot of other programs, there's sort of a de facto connection. And that's just because people have gone out and created those, but there are right. many jobs in many industries where there's nothing there. It's just, there's no connection and you sort of just have to figure it out. And and what this results in is high inefficiency all over the all over the board. So you get this massive debt to get a degree that only gets you into grad school or gets you into a job that says it requires a bachelor's degree. And And these are the larger issues at stake. Like how do you, in one year, if you had an appropriate system, you could train someone to do sort of a manual labor that would give them probably like close to a a family or, or at least a living wage. Right.
0: Well, and, and I think that's, I mean, this gets into a a bunch of other stuff, but, but I think it's a good point, you know, that, that we do have these, you know, a lot of times, you know, community college or, or otherwise, um, you know, based training programs like a nursing program, um, or, uh, you know, to be a lineman or something like that. But, you know, when when we get to the, when it comes to the university part, it's like, well, we've got to have, you know, number one, we've got to tie research with teaching for some reason. And then we've got to have these sort of two goals of job training, but then also having a liberal arts curriculum that's just about ideas and that sort of thing. And so to me, it just seems like you're trying to cram like three different purposes into one thing and and so of course you know just like you know someone trying to you know to do three different jobs at a business they're just very inefficient you know
2: and Uh, and one of the dysfunctions of this is is is, uh evident when we refer to all of this as education it's not so much education when you're training someone to be a welder right this all sort of falls under this higher ed umbrella and i think that sort of displays within the very language itself how distorted the idea is Whereas we should be thinking in terms of like, what is our societal sort of employee development? You know, what is how are how are people developed to, to work and to be employed and and and, and whatnot within the society? And it's not just their education, right. because it doesn't matter what humanities course they take if they if they can weld. You know, if they're awesome at welding, if they're if they're consistent and they know what they're doing. You know, um, if they're a mechanic and they're actually very good at what they do. I, I know a guy who's barely literate, but he's actually a I'm a mobile mechanic who has recently like bought a shop and now he, he and he constantly has business all out the wazoo because he just know he's very good at what he does and he's just self-trained. And, yeah. and so, and, and that's just because he, he found a skill and he, and he did it. And, and that doesn't work for everyone. I mean, you really have to be, um, sometimes you really have to love what you do and be really good at it to achieve something like that. But, right. but the whole issue is how do you get people trained to go into these professions and, Uh, and how do you better structure society in that way? Because I mean, to me, minimum wages are sort of like, and and the fact that these jobs exist where you only make, you know, like 11, $12 an hour. And, and it's just, there's no real, there's no real advancement from that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's, that's, that's a side effect of something that's a much larger malady.
0: Yeah. And, and it's, and it, it kind of shows you how sort of individualistic, Um, you know, how, how the individualistic mindset affects things, Uh, you know, because now it's like, well, we're not, we're not so much concerned about, um, you know, your family and your, uh, you know, and your role in the community. It's just, uh, you know, do you have the training or the experience to do this job? And so because there's no, I think, I think you made this point, uh, you know, you, you said, that, you know, if we look at society as an organism, right? Well, that's totally antithetical to the way most people think, right? Most people think, you know, I'm me and, you know, I got to look out for myself because nobody else is going to and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so it just, it leads to, or or it, it feeds a lot of this other stuff like, you know, well, what, what, what reason do I have to, to invest a lot of training into somebody? You know, why would I take a risk when I can just kind of, um, you know, let, let the uh, federally subsidized university system do that for me, you know, and, and let them tell me who's going to be worth employing and who's not.
2: And this is, it's interesting because if you look at the example of the NFL versus the Major League Baseball, um, I've made this, I made this uh, comparison a lot because I think it's really, really apt. May, uh, NFL, they sort of just kind of glean off of the top of the college football game. And what that has done is it's really affected the game itself because it's had to become more like the college game, which is, you know, for some people they don't like it. Some people do, but regardless, the, the NFL doesn't pay anything in employee development costs. And to some degree, that's a good thing. To some degree, it's a bad thing. Whereas with major league baseball and with the NBA, they had sort of these D leagues, these developmental leagues, where right out of high school, if you want to, if you're, if you you know, if you're good enough, but probably not on the threshold of like, hey, I can, I'm, I'm Lebron James, I can go directly to the NBA or something crazy like that. Then you go into the developmental league, and you make a lot less, but you're actually sort of being prepared and trained, and, and you might be selected or, or be or get good enough to actually play for the play for the majors. And if you don't, you know, you're still actually there's not this giant plateau between. I'm an NFL player who makes minimum 300,000 a year and nothing or, or like it, or Canadian football league, which, which is, which is significantly less, but still like an option for a lot of guys. So like, so there's these, there's these plateaus that are created when you have no employee development or no, there's no like easy steps up. It's all like, you know, you have to climb the sheer cliff to get, to get some new good opportunity. And that and that's bad for society because it, it means less people actually advance and, and uh, are able to have families and whatnot. Yeah.
0: Well, I think, and I think sometimes the, the discussion, especially when we, when we throw in the minimum wage, it, it, this whole discussion gets a little weird, right? Cause we end up talking about, um, you know, these, these, you know, specific industries like fast food. And it's like, I mean, do you know the percentage of people working in fast food, you know, in terms of the broader public or, or even the percentage of people who earn minimum wage in the fast food industry? And it's, and it's not nearly what people think, but they, that, you know, that, that particular industry has sort of become this avatar for, you know, Oh man, see how hard it is when, you know, you work at McDonald's and it's like, well, you know, um, (laughs) you know, how, how, how
1: is McDonald's going to pay them more? You know? Um, and meanwhile, they're switching to robot ordering things because that's cheaper now than, than paying all their staff minimum wage. They just need to cut down on staff.
0: Well, but I think, I think that also gets to another thing, which is, you know, people don't, you know, smart, smart business people aren't building their business model for today or yesterday, right? They're, they're sort of seeing the writing on the wall with this minimum wage thing. And they're like, okay, well, we better start, you know, building as many alternatives to, you know, hiring 16 year olds as possible, because we're not going to be able to pay them what, you know, what they can actually produce for us. Um, And and so I, I I think that's why they're doing that. And, and, And just also because I think people just like, the technology stuff. But, but I think it also gets into another interesting distinction, which is, you know, this concept of breadwinner jobs versus just, you know, a job for a kid, you know, Um, uh, and, and you hear this in the sort of conservative circles all the time with respect to, you know, $15 minimum wage for Walmart or for McDonald's or whatever. And it's like, you know, the response is always, well, that's not supposed to be, you know, a a job for somebody with experience is what they'll say. And I think what they mean is it's not supposed to be a breadwinner job. It's not supposed to be the job for, you know, um, a parent to have, um, you know, maybe when they're in dire straits, you know, or maybe they have two jobs or something like that, but just, it's not the ideal, right? That's not the expectation. The expectation is that, you know, you would have a job that pays better so that you can, um, you know, raise a family and that, you know, these McDonald's jobs are just supposed to be for people that are, you know, in a transition period, either from, you know, youth to, you know, being more productive as adults or, uh, you know, from one, one job to another as a, as an adult.
2: Yeah. And to, to, to my, to my sort of hobby horse of, you know, Hey, there needs to be connection between training and industry and whatnot. It's also a sense that, uh, there shouldn't really be that many jobs that are just like throwaway jobs, you know. Maybe in some cases there should be, where it's sort of just like a gig. You're, you've got a summer job, or, um, you, you know, you're just, you know, you're just a 16-year-old getting some experience. But I think any any job should have some sort of connection to the overall scheme. Um, and and I mean, to some degree, I know that there are scholarship opportunities that are offered through like Chick Fil A and through through McDonald's for for employees there that are actually pretty useful. Um, but but I think that when we have this sort of tier of jobs like, like re mall retail and um and all these sorts of like jobs that we consider just like throwaway, I think that diminishes the jobs in what they could be as part of like um as part of a bigger as part of something bigger. Like publics, they have I believe at a certain level, all of their people were elevated from within. I'm not sure what level it is. But that means that the person that gets up to the top actually spent time as possibly like a cashier or a stocker or a deli guy or something like that. So, um, so it actually gives people a chance to sort of rise up through those ranks and within the same company and, and, and really feel like you're, you're part of a company that, that, is, um, that has the human element woven into its efficiencies and its function.
0: Well, and just so everybody knows, Publix is uh, Florida's Whole Foods. Um, and <laughs> well, I guess, I wouldn't, say, too, but yeah. I wouldn't
2: say it's so much, so much whole foods. Like it's, it has like sort of an organic like side thing, but it really is just like, it's the most liked supermarket chain of the South really.
0: Yeah. I, I, we, I really liked the Publix in, uh, in Athens, Georgia when I lived there, but it was very expensive. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, so, so does that mean, so you're talking about, you know, this, these jobs being part of this broader, um, you know, sort of the broader thing. So it, you know, obviously there's one one way to think about that is, is guilds and sort of things like this, but are you, so are you saying like, you know, these, these low tier jobs, uh, I don't know, like, like we shouldn't have them, you know, it should be more like Aldi where you take your own groceries out or, um, or should they just be, should that just, should that just be more intentionally like some kind of a training program for something higher up?
2: I think it should be. I think it should be. Uh, and this may be. May, maybe this is purely a cultural thing. It's not something you can really do through uh, policy. Maybe it's something you have to do locally as well. Um, I've had an idea that I mean, you. If you have these sort of entry level jobs, they may pay at minimum wage or or you know some of these really low amounts initially. But provided a person meets like set conditions and everything, then you begin to elevate them very you know um, at least quickly uh, in the sense that you bring them up to, um, and, and this is beyond like the economic analysis, but, but like how, how quickly does someone become, uh, I'm thinking in terms of the, um, manual laborers, because I, I see, I think that that's the area where I've seen very little sort of vo- development in ter- terms of like a guild or, or, or unions or whatnot. Um, and, in particularly in HVAC because that's that's where my that's where my father works, and so, um, so I'm not sure. I, I mean, I know that there's there's a way to do this. There's a way to better organize this so that you don't have jobs that are just sort of you know interchangeable. Because to some degree, there's there's sort of a think of if you've got this really convenient employee in this position and moving them or, or, or elevating someone from these types of positions would then be a lot harder on you Then you really want someone to stay in that position and sort of keep sort of the corporate and the, you know, sort of the regional separate. And, um, and so it becomes an advantage for you not to elevate somebody and those, and those things are going to happen. You know, you, you can't control all these elements or micromanage them, but, but we should recognize that, Hey, there's, there should be a better way to, to do this.
0: Yeah, so I guess so. Really, what you're saying is just that, that that hiring from within has a moral component too. And instead of purely looking at it as you know, well, what are the search costs to find someone to fill this job versus you know, do I have anybody internally that um, could fill this role? There should just be a preference, sort of socially, for hiring from within because it's sort of part of the relationship between the employer and the employee.
2: I think so, because, again, it's it's part of this idea that you, you can't have local communities if you just have sort of, you know, interchangeable employees everywhere. If you have interchangeable, you know, McDonald's, interchangeable fast food places on every corner, you know, it's if everything is interchangeable, then, you know, then people are then forced to sort of adapt to that where, hey, they can't live in their local community. They have to leave to get a better opportunity. and And so that creates this sort of motion. And then because people are moving around constantly, because people aren't rooted, you don't have any real genuine local communities anymore. Um, I mean, you do have some, but, right. but like I'm, I'm speaking in terms of like the hyperbole, sort of the ideal, what, what's actually occurring sort of in an, in the ideal way, even though this is mitigated somewhat by people deciding, no, I'm going to live here and I don't care if I, I make less and I don't care if, you know, any of that other stuff.
0: Right. And I think, you know, to maybe put a little bit of a different gloss on the community thing is it's it's more like a trajectory right it's just where we're headed um right. you know and you see um and i think we we said this in the first episode i think you know that you look at it, you know in the, in the city aspect you look at places like detroit i mean places just hollowed out um you know because of a lack of community and you know part of the reason for that lack of community is uh just there there's there's no there's no local commerce there um, and it's, and it's really the case, you know, in my experience with rural areas, um, you know, so I, cause I've either worked a lot in rural areas or lived in them and you just see, it's just sad to see these places, you know, kind of falling apart there, you know, communities need scale. And, and once you get, um, you know, once, once your population falls below a certain level, um you know it, it just really is hard to maintain some of these these different uh, sort of fixed cost elements like medical care and 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 uh, education and stuff like that so
2: right and i think i think to some degree that you know the the really small communities have just there's some issues that they're going to deal with because they're on that margin but even with like the medium or or kind of small city but not super small they tend to deal with it quite a bit as well, where you've got, where everything is, if everything is sort of default advantage to these, to these, uh, big metropolitan areas, then, then everything sort of inclines in that direction. And it but and so it gets drained out of the, out of the other, out of the elements on the other side of the spectrum.
0: Right. So I don't know, uh, I don't know a good way to end this, but do you guys have any other just sort of final thoughts on this whole issue of minimum wage versus a family wage or um, any of that sort of thing.
2: I don't think that the impact of it is excessively positive or excessively negative. I think there's negatives and positives, you know, with it. Are you talking about the minimum wage? Right, right. But, but, but I think it's an ineffective way to approach. It's like, if you, if you don't really want to do anything significant, you can make a big deal about that and there will be enough news and enough, you know, you know, visceral right. argument about it and enough, you know, talk, talk, talk show radio hosts and, and whatnot <laughs> to, to it'll give them enough red meat to talk about.
1: Yeah, It's also yeah. a, it's a great way to get uh, the younger voters to vote for you and the, the potentially lower paid, lower educated immigrants to vote for you. If, if you say you're going to bring up the minimum wage by a dollar an hour, it's like, that's, that's who you're talking to is those people who would be making minimum wages to begin with.
0: Right. And, and, and it's sort of the other side of this whole, Oh, we just need to, you know, we just need economic education for everyone. We just need to have educated voters. And it's like, that's not going to happen. What you need is community. And then you won't have this problem in the first place, you know? Yeah. Um, So I guess with that, we'll sign off for now. And uh, hopefully we will uh, uh, get lots of downloads and we'll see all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Trad Dads podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and consider giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. It really helps us out.